beginning with verse number 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning with verse number 10. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. If you like to follow along and don't have a physical copy of God's Word, uh, you can follow along on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6, verse number 10. And this is how God's holy word reads. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Number seven. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. An advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Verse number 15, in my vain life, I have seen everything. 
There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Just a little bit. (laughs) Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. And all of this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly. And the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her. But the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I find, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman, all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This week, as I was checking in on Facebook to see what y'all been doing. I noticed that there was a common thread in regards to the people back from my hometown. And people were outraged, appalled, saddened. There was a gentleman who was 33 years old. Life was rough. Drugs, alcohol, partying, all the same. Had a kid. Continued that way of life. And then second one was on the way, a daughter. And so that gentleman decided that I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to make money the legal way. So he said, I don't want to have a boss. I want to be my own boss. And so he learned how to become, how to be an entrepreneur. And he was starting his own business talking with the right people, learning how to run a small business. 
His appearance even changed. He looked like a decent human being. And he was telling everybody, I got to turn this thing around. And he got in church, gave his life to Christ. And he was trusting in God that God was going to take care of him and God would help him be prosperous in his business. The common thread on my Facebook timeline was that someone entered into his home and shot him dead. Cold-blooded. Everyone is screaming justice for Jack. They called him Big Jack. So this has been on the hearts of friends and family back home. Why do I bring this up? Because you have a situation and where a young man had come to his senses. He repented. He, he turned his life around, was doing all of the right things. And yet, tragedy was the outcome. The human question is, where was God? Is that not the question we ask when we are going through trials and tribulations and suffering? How do we manage in life? How, how do you come and worship on a Sunday morning saying you deserve it, but now there is a, 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 a child, two children without a father, but you deserve it? How do I still worship God and live for God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of adversity and trials and tribulations? That is the question that the preacher wants to help us with this morning in Ecclesiastes. His goal in today's text is to encouraging suffering people to show their trust in the sovereign God by looking for what is relatively good even in the times of adversity. Let's see. The section, chapter 6, verse 10, begins with this simple point. God in the past has already predetermined the present. And God knows what human beings are. God in the past has already predetermined the present. Here's how the section opens, verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. When God created the world, he named certain things. Day, night, sky, earth, to give a thing, a name, is to be the cause of its existence, and therefore, that thing is now dependent on its creator. We do this, all of us are here, because our parents were the agents of creation of our bodies and our lives, and they named us. And we are dependent we were dependent on them. 
And so the, the, the preacher's point is that God has already created and named everything. And therefore, we are dependent upon him. And God has already predetermined and foreordained what will happen. God knows us. He created us and named us. Therefore, whatever season of life you're in, whether it's a season of prosperity, of a season of adversity, the preacher says, don't start arguing with God. He's, he says, the more words you speak, the more vanity. You are wasting your words. Think about it. How can you outlogic God? You it is impossible for humans to know more than an all-knowing God. He says, who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? This, the answer to this question has to be only God knows. What is good for man? Why? Because he has already predetermined and foreordained who he would create, and he has set the times of the course of our lives. So then, if God has already in the past determined the present, how then shall we live? God is in control, complete control. No matter what happens, God is in complete control. That's the author, the preacher's point today. No matter what happens in life, God is still in control. So then, how do we live wisely knowing that God is in control? Good, I'm glad you asked. Chapter 7. In chapter 7, the second thing that the preacher shares with us is wise living under the sovereignty of God. Wise living under the sovereignty of God. He moves on in this section to a poem. Chapter 7, he's, verse 1, he says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. The first line is easy to understand. You can buy precious ointment, but you can't buy a good name. However, the preacher seems to turn very pessimistic all of a sudden. When he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. It seems very backwards. Because we, when there's new life, we celebrate that. We're happy. It brings us joy. We share congr congratulations. We give gifts. And then we mourn the day of death. But the preacher here turns this thing completely on his head, and he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Why then would, would he make this statement? Because the preacher has, he says, I've seen all the suffering, all the oppression, all the injustice under the sun. And, and the preacher's conclusion was that when one is born, they have to endure all the suffering, all the turmoil, all the pain, all the injustice while living under the sun. So why celebrate the entrance into this way of life? 
And preachers say that when a person dies, now they don't have to deal with the effects of living in a fallen world. That's why the preacher goes on to say in verse 2 of chapter 7, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for the day is the end of all mankind. For that day is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. In other words, what the preacher means by saying go into the house of mourning versus the house of feasting, he would say it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Man, he's a downer. Why would he say that? Because a funeral represents the end of suffering under the sun. This preacher is not proposing now everyone just die. No, 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 no. He's helping us to live wisely and have perspective. And I think all of us would do well if we lived with the end in mind. The problem with us is that we start from birth and then live forward. The preacher is saying start at the end and then live backwards. It would do well for us to think of the day when we're all going to lay here. If we live with the end in mind, we'd stop wasting time. We will live every day intentionally and with purpose and for the glory of God. That's the preacher's point. He says, stop wasting time. Realize that we've all got a, a date with death. So he's giving us perspective here. Well, finally, verse 5, he moves on from talking about death. He moves on to say, it's better for a man to hear. You know what, before I move on to that, let me say one last thing. This, just yesterday, I think it was, we were having breakfast, my family and I. In some kind of way, we got to talking about dying and death. Oh, my wife, and I know what happened. My wife and I have this back and forth about who's going to live longer. <coughs> And I tell her, there's always something wrong with you. You're going first. <laughs> and she's like, no, no. I'm burying you. I'm going to have my hat, my shades on. I'm going to be beautiful. I'm like, how do you go to fashion talking about me dying? <laughs> By the way, this is the same woman who's, well, I won't tell you that part. <laughs> and so my son said, no, daddy's going to live till he's 95 years old. I said, oh, I hope not. And so BJ connected, he was like, what? Why would you want to live to 80 but not 95? Well, truth be told, I'm not even sure about 80. But here's why. Because, son, there's another world. Now I feel like running. There's another world where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. And what, we would, what would do us well in the church is to live for another world. Now, my son, he's maturing, he's growing. He sees the, the good part of living in this world. He, he just likes to have fun. He sees a world of fun out there. But, friend, but, my, but if one thing I want my son to learn over time is that there's even more joy on the other side. And so the preacher says, I think a lot of his point in the whole book of Ecclesiastes is start with the end and then live from there. 
He moves on. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. The preacher says that constructive criticism is good for us. Problem that we have right now is nobody wants to be told what to do. And when we live in this age of relativism, meaning that what's true for me is not true for you, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Nobody can tell anybody else what to do. We don't live like that as Christians. We have a standard of truth, God's word. And so then if I come to you and I rebuke you in a loving, gentle way and I'm giving you truth, your job is to receive that and respond by repenting. Friends, we've got to stop all this in the body of Christ where we can't tell one another the truth, speak the truth in love. To not receive the rebuke from the wise. And by the way, wisdom is determined by God's word. To not receive the rebuke of the wise, the Bible says you're foolish. Guys, let me tell you what, this is simply an issue of pride. That is not a mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Our master teacher was humble. He was so humble that he submitted to the will of his father by, by going to the point of death, death, even death on a cross. That's humility. Humility is God becoming man. Christmas, there you go. There's your Christmas sermon for the day. We just sang that Emmanuel, God with us. God entering our world. That's humility. And that's what is expected of those who follow Christ. Humility. And part of humility is I may not know everything and I may be wrong in this situation. So wise living under the sun is receiving rebuke from the wise. Listen. Verse 8, he says, Better is the end of the thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. By this, the preacher means that the outcome of a thing is better than the beginning of that thing. And patience is better than pride. For believers living wisely under the sun, why is the outcome better? Remember, we started by talking about his goal is how do we live wisely in the face of adversity under the sun? Because for the believer, there's always purpose behind our pain. Boy, I didn't know I was going to preach like this this morning. I'm enjoying myself. For the believer, we talked, he just said the outcome is better than the beginning. There's always purpose behind our pain. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. You can be joyful in the midst of trials because God is working in you and on you to produce something better. You, even when you go into the fire, the, 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 the Old Testament says you will come out as pure gold. 
Sometimes God allows us to go through suffering and pain because he needs to refine us to get the impurities out of us. The things that don't image or mirror his son. There's always purpose behind our pain. Here we go, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for, for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The bad stuff still works together for our good. There is always purpose behind our prayer. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen to us because he's trying to make us more like him. He disciplines us to make us more like him. How is he? Holy. So the outcome is better than the beginning. The beginning, it sucks. Nobody wants to go through trials and tribulations and hurt and pain and suffering. But he says there's some good stuff on the other side. Verse 10, he says, don't, don't look back to the good old days when there was no adversity. He says, oftentimes we look back for the good old days when we do that. It doesn't come from a place of wisdom. To complain about the degeneracy of the times and to show a lack of patience and self-control, which is the mark of a fool rather than a wise man. Let's keep moving. First, verse 13, he concludes his poem. Here's his message. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? The preacher's point is that God is the sovereign God who has made all things. What are the crooked things? The crooked things are the things that don't go our way. The things that don't seem right. But the preacher reminds us that even the crooked things come from the hand of God. On one hand, it's unsettling to think that our good, loving God can make things crooked. But on the other hand, it ought to be a, a source of comfort for the believer to know that God, even when things are crooked, he's still in control. So the preacher here says, they all come from the hand of God. The preacher here actually has a high view of God because he's saying there is nothing that is not under the control of God. Another time for me to take another lap. Everything that happens, no matter what happens in life, God is still in control. I don't mean to be, uh, be uh, cliche-ish, but, but if one thing that I would tell that family back home who just lost Big Jack, I would tell them that even now, God is still in control. I can't explain it. I don't know why it happened I, and why it happened like it happened, but I know that God is still in control. We may not understand it now, but we'll understand it better by and by. Friends, no matter what is happening in your life, the good news is that God is still over it. 
You are going through some things that you feel like will, that are going to take you under. Come here, Peter. Come here, Peter. What, 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 what's going on, Peter? We were in this storm. We were in this storm, and, and it was me and my boys, the disciples. We were following Jesus, but Jesus went out, and, and then we saw him all of a sudden. At first, we thought it was a ghost, but then we realized it was Jesus. And you know, I was like, I want to be like Jesus. So, Jesus, let me walk on water. And so I step out, and I'm walking on water. But then I started looking at the wind and the waves, and I became scared, and I started to drown. I was falling. The, the, I was about to go under. But the good news for Peter and for, what, for the rest of us, what was taking Peter under, Jesus was still over. Y'all, I'm preaching in here. Somebody here needs to know that whatever you feel like is taking you under, God is still over. There is nothing that God can't control. Let's get out of here. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, he's telling us how to live wisely under the sun. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, here it is again, consider God has made the one as well as the other. We don't like this, but it's the truth. Both ultimately come from the hand of God. Even when, when Satan is the agent of the evil and the bad, he still has to knock on the door of heaven and say, can I do that? He says, enjoy it, but remember when adversity comes, both come from the hand of God. Why? So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. His point is that God does this so that we don't try to control our future. preacher says, instead of trying to control what will happen to you, we should just accept it, accept it, and trust the sheer hand of God. Remember, God already knows. Even what happened to Big Jack back home, it didn't catch God by surprise. So the preacher says, both come from the hand of God. See, our problem is We'll take the good, but we don't want the bad. God, I, I want all the good. I want the prosperity, but don't give me any adversity. Last point. So what, how are we to live wisely then? He says, the last section, live every day in the fear of God. Reverently, worshipfully. Okay. Let, let, let's, let's, let's think about this. God has already predetermined and foreordained all things and all people. God is in complete control over the good and the bad, the prosperity and the adversity. So the critical thinker here is saying, I can live one of two ways. I can be, the preacher uses this term, overly wicked. In other words, I can live however I want to live. Do whatever I want to because what has been determined, what, what's going to happen, God already knows. My fate is already determined so I can do whatever I want to. That's what he means by overly wicked. Or the other person said, I've got to be overly righteous. That's what the preacher says. In other words, 
I have to live perfectly. I have to live a perfect, sinless life so that bad things don't happen to me. The preacher, he says, those are two extremes, and both of them are unwise. Don't just live any way you want to, and don't try to live a perfect life. Neither one of those are guarantees that you, won't ex- that you will experience prosperity and not experience adversity. In other words, live in the fear of God. What you, and by the way, wisdom, the, be, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's how you live wisely. The fear of the Lord. By worshiping, that's worship language, by the way. And so what God has revealed in his word, honor him by living according to his word. Don't be, that's why he meant, that's why when we laughed earlier, don't be overly wicked. And I said just a little bit, he was just saying those are the extremes. You're going to be wicked because you're a sinner. And the preacher knows that. He said, now just don't give up. What this is, the overly wicked person, is this is escapism. You know what? It's bad things are going to happen anyways. I'm just going, you know, you only live once anyways. YOLO. So I'm just going to live it up and enjoy life. God still has a standard of holiness for his people. And when we sin, when we are unholy, God's got to deal with that. So actually you only bring adversity to you. This one, overly righteous, is impossible. And the good news is God doesn't grade us or judge us based on our righteousness. I'm cutting across the field. He grades us based on his son's righteousness. I'm so glad. Because I'm, y'all, one thing I know how to do is sin. I can teach a class in how to sin and sin right. I know how to do that real well, and even being y'all's pastor, I still sin. So, th- y'all, this, this is impossible right here. And so, he, he that knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way we could ever be right with God is through Jesus Christ himself. So live every day following after Christ. Live every day trying to be conformed to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's wise living under the sun. If you are here today, the only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ our Lord. By trusting in his perfect sacrifice. Him dying on the cross, taking our penalty, dying our death, on the cross, was buried and rose back victoriously from the grave on the third day with all power. If you believe, trust, place all your confidence in him, only then can you be right with God. Here's the thing. Even after you're right with God, being right with God doesn't mean that life is going to be great. That same Jesus that died for us said, in this world, you will have trouble. We have a real enemy. 
And when you follow Jesus, you enter spiritual warfare day after day. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to be right in your life. It, it will not happen under the sun. But guess what? Even in the times of adversity, I never have to walk alone. Jesus will always be there with me. Worship team, you can come back.